you can go ahead and assume that if you perform the same level of renovations on the remaining 75% of the units, then you will achieve that same $100 rental premium. How great would it be to buy a piece of institutional quality income producing commercial buildings? Well, now you can with Building Bits. It's not a REIT or a fund. Building Bits is a new platform for non-accredited investors where virtually anyone, regardless of income, can select a building lease to a major corporation with a guaranteed long-term lease. You can now invest in the same quality assets, which have previously only been available to institutions and wealthy individuals. Once you choose your building on buildingbits.com, you can invest as little as $500 and receive your share of the rents while Building Bits' team of real estate pros handles all the management aspects of the building. For the first time, the big corporations in America can actually start paying you. And when the building is sold in the future, the potential appreciation is redistributed to everyone so you don't just get the rental income, but also share in the upside. Best of all, since these securities are SEC qualified, they are freely tradable immediately. The $500 minimum with no upfront fees is available for a limited time. There are great properties available nationwide with major tenants, so don't wait. Go to buybits.us today and pick your property before they're all sold out of their current inventory. That's buybits.us. That's buy, B-U-I, bits, B-I-T-S, dot U-S. The SEC offering circular is available at buildingbits.com. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode. And for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the apartment syndication school, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best of your listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. So as you know, each week we air two podcast episodes that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these series, we offer a document resource or spreadsheet for you to download for free. All of these free resources, as well as past Syndication School series, are available for free at syndicationschool.com. This episode is going to be part six of what will likely be an eight-part series now. I know these things typically start off as two or four-part series and end up being eight-part series, but there's a lot of information to pack into these episodes, and so it's better to have have, have more parts to each of these series because the more detailed, the, the better. But this is going to be part six of the eight-part series entitled How to Underwrite a Value-Add Apartment Deal. Now, if you haven't done so already, I highly recommend, or it's almost a requirement, to listen to parts one through five first, because each of these episodes builds off of the last, and this is a a kind of a seven-step, step-by-step process for how to underwrite these value-add apartment deals. And if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, then this one might not make total sense, Although this particular episode might be able to be used as a standalone because it is how to perform a rent comp analysis or a rental comparable analysis. 
Now, I'm sure everyone's heard of a sales comparable analysis, which is what residential appraisers use to determine the value of a residential property. Well, the rent comp analysis is what multifamily investors use to determine the market rent of their units. And in particular, for this series, where we're talking about underwriting value-add deals, we are going to perform a rental comp analysis in order to determine what the market rent of our units will be once they are stabilized after all of the interior and exterior renovations have been completed. Now, I believe we talked about this in earlier episodes, but there are a few ways to determine that your stabilized rents or those rent premiums from how the unit is currently rented to what the unit rental premium based off of the current quality of unit and building to the stabilized quality unit and stabilized quality of the unit and the building. One way is to just base it off of the rental comps that are provided in the offer memorandum. So typically the broker will perform their own rental comp analysis and that's what they will base their performer on. And as you remember, we don't want to do that. We don't want to rely on the broker's rental premiums because at the end of the day, the broker is working with the seller in order to sell the property at the highest price possible. So you don't necessarily want to completely trust that the information is accurate. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in this episode. Another way is to wait to perform your rental comps until you actually have your rental comp analysis, until you actually have the property under contract. So you do all your underwriting, you go ahead and just input in placeholder rental premiums or you base it off of something else. And then once you have the deal under contract, you go ahead and perform a more detailed rent comp analysis. You also don't want to do that because you've already put in all this time and once you have the deal under contract, money as well. And you don't want to have to back out of the deal and lose all that time and potentially money because you failed to perform that rent comp analysis early enough to catch some issue or whatever. Another way, and this is a way that you could actually use, the first two you don't want to use, but this third way is to base them off of the proven rental premiums that the current owner has received or achieved. So let's say that you're looking at a property and it says that the current owner has performed renovations on... 25% 25% of the units, they spent five grand per unit. They installed new new appliances, new floors, and new light fixtures. And they've been able to achieve a rental premium of $100 on each of these units. And then you go to the rent roll and you actually confirm that this is true, that 25% of the units are renovated, and that the market rents on the renovated units are $100 more than the market rents on the unrenovated units. Then you can go ahead and assume that if you perform the same level of renovations on the remaining 75% of the units, then you will achieve that same $100 rental premium. And then the fifth way is to, well actually it's the fourth way, is to perform your own rent comp analysis, whether to confirm the proven rental premiums by the owner, to confirm the broker's rental comps, or if the owner hasn't done any renovations and it's an off-market deal to just figure out what the rents are going to be in the first place because you don't have any information to base it off of. So you're going to do a combination of three and four. So even if the current owner has those proven rental premiums, you can definitely assume that that is the case and go ahead and set your offer price. But then you're going to want to go back and confirm that those rental premiums are accurate. Now, maybe they are accurate because they're likely not going to be too high because they're actually getting them from residents, so they're likely not going to be too high. They could be, 
but they could be too low. The owner could be renting out those units at rent below the market rates. And if that's the case and you catch that and you realize, well, actually I can raise them by $150 as opposed to $100, then that's going to, again, increase your ability to get that deal under contract because maybe not every person looking at the deal performed their own rental comp analysis and saw that they could increase their rents by an additional $50, which involves them to pay more for that property. So I guess the whole point of what I'm saying is that you want to perform some sort of analysis on your own, no matter what, even if it's just to confirm that the information that was provided to you is accurate. Now, there are actually two steps to performing this analysis. The first one is you want to perform an analysis online, so just at your computer. And the other one is going to be an in-person analysis, which covers the rent cost, but it also helps you confirm your renovation assumptions as well as analyze the market and a few other things. So in this episode, we're going to talk about that online analysis. And then next week, we're going to talk about what to do when you actually visit the property in person. And for this episode, we're going to give away a free document. It's going to be an Excel spreadsheet that will help you perform this online rental comp analysis as well as the in-person rental comp analysis. So it's going to be one spreadsheet that will cover what we talk about in this episode as well as the first episode of next week. So the first step for performing this online rental comparable analysis is going to be to build a list of comparable apartments in the area. And when you're thinking about building this list, here are a few criteria you want to keep in mind to make sure that these properties are actually similar and of like kind. First is going to be the year of construction, so the year that the property was built. So you're going to want the comparable property to be built around the same year as the subject property, the property that you're actually looking at. Because if you are looking at properties that were built much earlier or much later, they might be too dissimilar. They're going to have different levels of deferred maintenance. They might have different unit layouts. They might have different amenities offered, different construction materials. A 1960s property is going to be a lot different than a 2000s property when it comes to quality. So if you're looking at a 1980s property, find a property that was built plus or minus 5 to 10 years. Next is going to be the distance from the subject property. So Again, this isn't going to be a set number, set mileage, because it's going to depend on the size of the market as well as the density of apartment communities. But you're going to want them to be close. So if you're looking at a very high density area where there's 100 apartment communities in a one square mile radius, then the property should be within a mile of the property. But if you're in the middle of Iowa, then 10, 20 miles might actually be okay. In some cases, if you're looking at a property that is very unique, you might have to find a rental comp that's in a completely different state. So for example, if there's some beachfront property in, this is what I actually learned this when I was taking my appraisal class when I got my real estate license. But if you're looking at a beachfront condo in Cincinnati, that's highly unique. You might need to go to a city like, like Pittsburgh and find a similar riverfront property in Pittsburgh. So the distance really varies, but most likely if you're looking at a major MSA, you're going to want the comparable properties to be within a few miles. Next is going to be the number of units. So the comparable properties should have a similar unit count to the subject property. So if you're looking at a 300 unit property, you don't want to use a fourplex as a rental comp and vice versa. It comes more into play when you're under 50 units and then above 50 units. So if you're looking at an 80 unit, you don't want to use a 20 unit. You want to use 120 unit. But if you're looking at a 20 unit, a 30 or 40 unit is okay, but 
you don't want to use a 100-unit property because the operations are going to be different, the amenities offered are going to be different, the expenses are going to be different. Next is going to be the unit type and the unit size. So the comparable properties should have similar unit types and square footage. So let's say that you're looking at a property that has all one bed, one bath units, and that's it. Then using a property that only has two bath, two bed units is not going to be a good idea. For the square footage, it doesn't need to be the exact same, but if you're looking at a property with one bed, one bath that are 500 square feet, then you probably don't want to look at a property that has one bed, one bath that are 1,600 square feet or some massive one bedroom units. Next is going to be the interior renovations performed at the comparable property. So the quality of the interior renovations at this comp should be similar to the quality of renovations that you plan on performing at the subject property. So if right now the subject property has got a lot of deferred maintenance and it's got very poor quality, but you plan on going in there and putting in stainless steel appliances, putting in granite countertops, putting in nice floors, renovating the clubhouse, redoing the pool, putting in playgrounds and kind of going a whole nine yards, then you're going to want to use a comparable property that has granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, really nice pool, really nice clubhouse, as opposed to using a comp that is similar to the quality of how the property currently is. And then lastly is going to be the amenities offered, which I've kind of hinted at, but the quality and type of amenities offered at the comparable property should be similar to the quality and the type of amenities that are offered at your property that you're looking at purchasing once it's fully updated. So most of the factors I've talked about before kind of hit on that, but for example, if you're looking at a property that has a pool, then you want your comp to have a pool. If you're looking at a property that doesn't have a clubhouse, then you don't want to look at a rental comp that has a clubhouse. Same thing with the playgrounds, barbecue areas, any amenity. You want to make sure that those are the same at the subject property and the comparable property. Now, it doesn't have to be the exact same, but the large ones should be. So the clubhouse, the pool, the fitness center, those should be. But if the only difference is like barbecue pit area, then you can still use that property as a comp. So those are kind of the main things to look at. And there are a couple other things you want to look at too, like the types of fees that are charged to the tenant. So who pays for utilities, who pays for water, are there pet fees, is there um, utility fees, things like that. But overall, those factors that I discussed should be enough to help you kind of have a better idea of how to actually find a comparable property. Now, a really good way to help you have a visual comparison of the subject property to the potential comps is to create an amenities checklist. So essentially, you go in Excel, you create a list of all of the interior and exterior upgrades that will be offered at your property once it's fully updated, and then make a column and create rows for each of those. And then on the columns, you'll put your subject property pre-renovations and post-renovation, and then check off, okay, right now I've got these 10 amenities, and then once I'm done, I'll have all 20. And then you'll create a column for each potential comp and do the same thing. Go through and check off, okay, they have 18 of the 20 that my property will have. Well, this one has five, so I'm not using that one. And you can find all that information pretty easily if you just go to the actual apartment's website. They should have some sort of section that talks about amenities offered. You might even be able to find it at apartments.com. But overall, you want to take this checklist and use that to eliminate properties that aren't comps and to keep the properties that are comps. And this amenities checklist will be included in the free document you're getting. So if what I said didn't make 100% sense, it will make perfect sense once you actually see the document. Now for those other factors that I discussed besides the amenities, 
the interior innovations, number of units, distance you're built. Um, since you're first starting out, you're likely going to want to talk to your private management company or your mentor consultant to see what is an acceptable date range, distance from my property, number of units in order to qualify as a rent comp. Now, if you remember way in the beginning, I think it was in part one, when I talked about reading through the offering memorandum and how you want to stop at the financial analysis section because you don't want that to impact how you want to deal. This is the time where you want to go back to that. And in particular, you want to go back to their rental comp section. And instead of having to find all of your rental comps from scratch, you can start by using the rental comps that are listed by the broker. So you can go ahead and input those into your amenities checklist and go ahead and perform that analysis I discussed. So go to their website or apartments.com and figure out what amenities that are offered to make sure that they actually are like properties. A few other things you want to look at, three things in particular that you want to look out for when you're looking at the broker's comps. Because again, the broker is trying to sell the property, so they might use really, really nice comps to bump up that rent premium. So the first thing you're going to look at is how far are the comps from the subject property. So, for example, Joe was looking at a property where the rent comps were in a completely different neighborhood. And since he was local to the area, he knew that one of the comps was located in a neighborhood that had a lot of college graduates, while the subject property was not a place that had a lot of college graduates. So... You want to make sure, again, and it's based off of the size of the market and the density of the market, but you want to make sure that the comps provided by the broker are close and in the same or very similar neighborhoods. So they don't have to be in the exact same neighborhood as long as that neighborhood has a similar demographic. So the second thing you want to look out for is the year the property was renovated. So sometimes you'll look at properties that have those proven rent premiums. So they've renovated 25% of the units and they're getting the $100 rental premium. Then you ask them or you look at the rent roll to see when those units were last leased. That'll help you know when they were most likely renovated. But your best bet is to ask when they were renovated. And you find out that those 25% of the units were renovated over a five-year period. Well, if a unit was renovated five years ago and they've had the same rent at that unit for four years or three years, then that's not going to be the same as the rent that they could get today or if you renovated that unit today. So you want to make sure that their renovation timeline is close to your timeline. So if you plan on renovating 75% of the units in two years, then they should have renovated 25% of the units at a maximum of a year, ideally less than that. So ideally they did them really quickly because number one, that will show you that, hey, I could get these rents, but it also shows you that there's a demand for those as opposed to renovating 25% over five years. You don't know if those rents are actually reflective of the current market and you don't know if there's going to be demand for those units because there weren't enough available at one time to prove that. Lastly, you want to take a look at the operations of the comparable property to see if they match up with the operations at the subject property. So, for example, something else that you may come across is you'll look at the rent comp section and let's say the subject property, the owner currently pays all of the utilities and then you look at the rent comps and you see that half of them, the owner pays all the utilities, but then the other half of them, the renters pay the majority of the utilities, except for, let's say, say water. Well, if the owner's paying all utilities at the subject property, those rents are going to be higher than at properties where the renters pay all the utilities. So that's not going to be a good property to use as a 
rent comp analysis. So once you've kind of gone through those three questions and the comps kind of pass that initial smell test, then you can use them for your rent comp analysis. If they don't, then you're gonna have to find your own properties. But regardless of whether you use the broker's rent comps or your own rent comps, you're gonna to want to do your own research and find out what the actual rents are on your own. So just because the actual apartment community is a comp doesn't mean that the rents that the broker listed are accurate. So once you've created your list of properties, then in the Excel document that we're giving you for free, you're gonna to wanna to go ahead and input a few pieces of additional information. So first, you're gonna to wanna to put the property name, the property address, the year built, and the number of units. And then next, you're gonna to wanna to go ahead and determine what are the rents for each of the various unit types at these comparable properties. The best way to do this is going to be just apartments.com because typically they'll have their units listed for rent and you can pull the data from there. So for unit types, you're gonna have one bed, one bath, two bed, two bath, three bed, two bath, whatever unit types are offered at the subject property. And for each of those units, you're going to want to input your square footage for your property as well as the current rents if current owner has implemented the value add program and have proven rental premiums. And then you're gonna do the same thing for your comps. So for example, comp one, they've got a one bed, one bath that's 700 square feet, that's rented at $600 a month. And then they have a one bed, one bath that's 800 square feet, that's rented at $700 per month. You're gonna input both of those. Same thing for rent comp two, rent comp three, rent comp four. And you're gonna do the same thing for the two beds and the three beds, and if they have it, four beds. Once you do that, then you can determine what is the average rent per square foot for each of those unit types. So for the five or six or 10 comparable properties, what is the average rent per square foot for their one bedroom units? What's the average rent per square foot for their two bedroom units? Once you have that average rent per square foot and you know what the square footage is of your units, you can determine what will be the approximate rent of the subject property. And then you can take that and you can compare that to the proven rental premiums that the owner did or the rental premiums that the broker calculated and see if they were accurate. But if they were accurate or inaccurate, regardless, you want to use the actual data that you pulled. And at the end, you should have a renovated rental rate for each of the unit types at your property. And if you want to, you can round number up or down based off of how aggressive or conservative you want to be. And that concludes the online portion of your analysis. The next step is going to be to go ahead and actually visit the property in person and do a secret shopping of sorts to confirm that the rents you found online are actually accurate, as well as to gather other pieces of information that are going to be important to confirm your rental premiums, as well as to confirm a few other aspects of your underwriting process. But that'll be it for this episode. We'll discuss that in-person analysis next week. And just to summarize what you learned this episode, we went over the step six of the seven-step underwriting process, which is performing that online rent comp analysis, which is essentially finding like apartment communities in the area in order to determine what the average rent per square footage is in order to use that number to calculate what you can rent out your fully renovated units for once you've implemented your value add business plan. In the meantime, if you haven't already, which you probably have, you can go ahead and listen to parts one through five 
of this How to Underwrite Evaluate Apartment Deal series. Or you can go ahead and go back to some of the older syndication school series about the how-tos of apartment syndications. And make sure you also go to download your free document. And you can do all of these things at syndicationschool.com. The free document should also be in the show notes of this episode. Until then, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Wouldn't it be nice to buy a piece of institutional quality, income-producing commercial real estate buildings for as little as $500? Now you can with Building Bits. Building Bits is a new platform where virtually anyone, regardless of income, can select a building leased to a major corporation with a guaranteed long-term lease. The $500 minimum with no upfront fees is available only for a limited time. There are great properties available nationwide with major tenants, so don't wait. Go to buybits.us today and pick your property before they're all sold out of the current inventory. That's buybits.us. That's buy, B-U-I, bits, B-I-T-S, dot U-S. The SEC offering circular is available at buildingbits.com. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.